Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I love a good thick, a good thick boy. Like, I like having <laughs> clothes on. I like, <laughs> like... I like pants. I like a coat, another coat, a hat. I just like having clothes on. It's great for me. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a writer. writer, but... With us today is Alyssa Washuda. Alyssa Washuda is a member of the Cowlitz Indian tribe and a nonfiction writer. She's the author of My Body is a Book of Rules and Starvation Mode, and her book White Magic is forthcoming from Tin House Books. With Teresa Warburton, she is co-editor of the anthology Shapes of Native Nonfiction, Collected Essays by Contemporary Writers. She has received fellowships and awards from the National Endowment for the Arts, Creative Capital, Artist Trust, for Culture and Potlatch Fund. Alyssa is a, an assistant professor of creative writing at The Ohio State University. Thanks so much for being with us, Alyssa. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So good to talk to you. We yeah. are thrilled and thrilled we're so to thrilled you. to hear what you are about to read to us. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to read from White Magic, um, yes. my book that's coming out in April. I haven't done very many readings. I mean, this might be the first time or the second time I'm reading from the actual galley. So that's oh, exciting. Wow. Oh, yay. What a good. Yes. Book. It's so heavy. Um, <laughs> all of that. You did all of that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to read from just a couple pages from the, the middle of an essay called The Spirit Corridor. Crying Room Door. I liked church because of the mysteries. Joyful, sorrowful, glorious. I liked that my dad called one of God's three persons the Holy Ghost, like a character in a book of scary stories. In Catholic school, I learned that some supernatural truths could not be accessed through human reason. I took this to mean that God kept secrets like I did. My secrets were that I wanted to kiss the Ninja Turtles. I had a twin brother nobody could see and I peed in the closet. God's secrets were about other worlds. In the New Testament, though, mysterion doesn't mean mystery, something impossible or difficult to understand. It refers to what is mystical, with the spiritual meaning inaccessible without initiation. The priests said we could never understand how God impregnated Mary, how Jesus rose from the dead, or how Mary was pulled to heaven. But I was instructed in assumption before gravity, resurrection before biological death, and immaculate conception before reproduction. The problem with mystery 
is that I have always understood completely. I never fully cultivated a sense of reason in which what's called supernatural would be anything but natural. The church was dark, built from wood beams and black pillars. Off to the side in the crying room, there was a statue of the Virgin. I wanted to be secreted inside with her. I cried through masses, hoping mom would take Nate and me to that hiding place so I could watch the porcelain woman in case she might weep with me. Forbidden door. Before I was born, I was halved. New age internet says many of us are this way, half hearts looking for completion. I've been looking for my lost parts forever so I'm never not serious in love. It could be anyone, I used to think. I just had to find him and lock myself into him. I tried so hard to force the fit that sometimes I barely noticed that the force had broken me. Something was different with Carl. I could listen to his thoughts and speak them back to him. We stared into each other's eyes, making a psychic rope. We knew we had to keep our bodies together as much as possible. Otherwise, our halves might pull apart again. I had never felt this way before. Until a year earlier, I had never felt much at all for very long because I could mostly submerge myself through intoxication. This meeting was faded. This was my other half. The intensity of my desire made me believe the divine had paired us. And I told him so. It had never been safe to tell a man I believed in something greater than myself, greater than him. It takes safety to dream, to play house in my mind, to build us a little life in the future, to believe we are living in magic and can use it to make us happy. I had to go away for a week, and soon after, Carl had to go away for three. We never returned to each other, not really. Every day I change my mind about whether he's my missing half or whether I just want him to be. I'll stop there. Awesome. I was riveted. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness. And you're such a great reader. Thank you. I'm Absolutely. sad that I won't be getting to do, you know, in-person book tour events. Sad is an understatement. I'm devastated. <laughs> I think we I think we have to do a do-over. Like we have to like there has to be Anyone who had a book out in 2020 and anyone in the early parts of 2021, we, there needs to be like massive tours because yeah. people will show up for that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It'd like be you'll fun too start... if a bunch of people got together and did them, you know, huge groups. That'd be so fun. Yeah. I think you'll just start accumulating writers like barnacles or like, you know, like this, <laughs> like the snowball effect, because by the time you get to like your last town, it'll just be like the bus is bursting with writers who are like, take me with you. Oh Where goodness. can people pre-order that book? Um, anywhere you can. Yeah. Anywhere you can go to whitemagicbook.com even, and it'll redirect you somewhere. I can't remember mm -hmm. where, but yes, whitemagicbook.com all the stuff you need to know is there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, maybe I can do touring around the paperback release. Um, yeah. But, you know, for now, got this office set up, which is my, my, my tour bus uh, <laughs> that's affixed to the land it's on. <laughs> do you have a special backdrop? 
I don't. I have, um, so I'm in my office. It was kind of blank for a lot of the, you know, the first maybe seven months of, um, of being in here for Zoom meetings and stuff. Um, but I've got some like vintage looking Christmas lights up. I've okay. got, um, you know, I've got a lot of plants, but most of them are are off camera. Uh, so I'm working on it, but I really, it's a nice space for me. Yeah, that's all. That's all that matters. Do you have, do you have a ring light? I, so I don't, I didn't get a ring light because I almost always wear my glasses. Um, but I got oh, these yeah. two lamps that go kind of off to the side. So it's still not ideal, but it's much better to have these two lamps um, that are sort of front, like they're in front of me, but they're, they're kind of off to the side. So I don't get so much glare in my glasses that way. It's pro move. Nice. Total pro move. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I just sit in here and I research everything for days before I buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I have like filled carts all over the internet. <laughs> just abandoned them. <laughs> nice. Yeah, before we get off the topic of white magic, which of course will be our forever topic, hopefully. But uh, I wanted to ask a little bit about um, the organization of the collection. The... The way it is set up is so striking. Um, set up in acts, and then each set of essays has almost an introductory section, as like an introductory essay to the section. Almost, I wanted to hear the the language you use around that. Um, how you think of those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the introductions to each section were one of the last things I wrote. Um, I've, you know, I've been working on this book for eight years. Wow. Um, I guess it's done now. Proofreading has, has just been finished and sent to me, awesome. but you know, I mean, it's, it's just existed in so many iterations, um, along the way, you know, my chapbook starvation mode was kind of like one of the things that came from the process. Mm. Um, to me, it does not it never felt like a collection of disconnected essays. It always felt like a book length narrative or almost like a sort of lyric essay that's a hundred thousand words long, <laughs> you know, like right. this 500 page lyric essay. Um, but, you know, I think that that was because I was thinking about how it would work overall as this sort of unified narrative, right? Which is not chronological. It's it's all kind of surrounding, some somewhat. It's surrounding this breakup um, mm -hmm. of a very short relationship um, that was really devastating for me because it was the first time in sobriety that I really had my heart broken, um, and I didn't know what to do with my feelings, and I had to find something other than alcohol, um, and that was you know, magic is what I found. Um, so, so um, I don't remember where I was going with that, but yeah, I, so yeah, it's not a chronological story in that sense. Um, the essays kind of jump all over the place as far as events go, but I do think of it as having this arc in the person who wrote the book. You know, I, 
I started it out because I genuinely, um, once it really started taking the shape that it, it took and the first or second essay were written, I realized that I was going on this, you know, this journey of writing um, because I could not get over this guy. And I felt like there was something there. And I knew that what I kept feeling that was there was not him. It was not the relationship. It was something else that was pulling at me um, that I needed to explore. And I needed to do it. I needed to do it in writing and by making forms um, like literary forms on the page. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's the arc of the book. I, you know, I teach, I teach creative writing at Ohio state and um, it's really helped me to think a lot about narrative and form. And years ago, I used to think of myself as really not being beholden to narrative at all. I felt that I was very anti-narrative. Um, but I, you know, in the last few years, I came around to, to realizing that there is very much a narrative in, in all of my work. Um, yeah. When you were, when you were anti-narrative, what did that look like in your head? What were you anti? I think, I think what it was, was that I was, um, I was not so concerned about plot. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I thought like the, I was not writing, um, an autobiography. The things that happened to me were not, um, you know, I kind of would keep saying that the things that happened to me were not significant. Um, and this, you know, the, the stuff of my life was not important. I think a couple of things happened. I mean, I, I realized that, yeah, the stuff of my life is important. It is. And, and thinking is also the stuff of my life. Right. Um, you set all this up so beautifully in that first uh, introductory, you know, mini essay that leads into the, the first section into act one. It stopped me. I, I, I highlighted this whole thing because I thought it allowed for so much to go on later in the book that had a form to it had this arc that you're saying existed within the person who wrote it um let me i'm gonna i'm gonna read your own words to you real quick because this, <laughs> this really stopped me sure uh there must be trouble a protagonist in danger she should be thrust by high stakes into her journey and shoved off by an inciting incident a satisfying narrative takes its shape from story structures readers recognize in their bones the writing should teach the reader how to read it I don't know what that means, but it's true. Fiction writers make plot and nonfiction writers make insights. We shape the recollected by how the remembering changes us. The mind wants to understand what's done, but not settled. That, I mean, God, God damn. (laughs) I, I, it allowed, it allowed me to feel okay as a reader to not necessarily track every single thing you were doing immediately but to allow myself to be uh, moved by what I was moved by. And I don't know, there, there was a real permission in, in there for the reader that I thought was beautiful. Thank you. I think, I mean, that's exactly what I was hoping for. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, I'm realizing I didn't kind of get around to the answer to, to the sort of answer to your question no, you did, you at did. first, but um, well, one thing I was thinking of is like the, you know, the, those, so section headings came about or like those, those introductory, um, you know, chapter openings that, you know, there's a couple pages for um, 
act one, act two, act three, that are commenting on the nature of narrative and on the nature of the book that I've given to the reader. Mm. Um, Because I realized um, after my agent read it that I had, I was so close to it. I was living this, you know, I had just lived out this arc that I made. I was able to see it, but it wasn't apparent on the page. Mm. Um, So it's just like one of those things where I needed to move a little closer to the reader to meet them and give them what they needed. Nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I always go for it. I was just going to say, I think that's such an important step in in a writer's life is sort of accepting like these things that are running around in my head that I keep that I keep putting down on paper or that I want to put down on paper. Um, like they might might not fit what I've been told is a narrative or what I mm. believe is a narrative, but I can't get them away from me. <laughs> I can't. So I have to. Um, and then you know, I think like when you break free from that, you you make your own and it's, you know, it's exactly what you've done here. Right. Like, and it's, it's like Alex said, like you, you're given, you're given the rules. It makes its own rules and the reader is given those rules and, and, you know, maybe down the line it, it's, it takes shape for the reader in its own way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that's such a freeing moment for, for a writer to, to get to, and it doesn't always happen. So yeah. it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, there's something about, um, and you know, this is another thing that teaching has really helped me to think through is as readers, it's okay. It's okay for readers to, to be a little uncomfortable or to not totally know what's going on or to not totally be able to access. That's my favorite thing to happen in reading Yeah, discomfort or even like um, anger or, you know, like confusion, like what, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, like, Ugh! and, and putting the book down and, and then like an hour passes or a day passes and it's like, oh my God, you know? It's yeah. Brilliant. I, I love that too. And I think it's, um, I think it can be really hard because of the way, um, I think it, you know, in some, in some exper- educational experiences, some schools or classes or, you know, pedagogical approaches sort of have students approaching texts like their, um, you know, like their cabinets to be unlocked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I think as writers, we can fall into that too by trying to take too much control in you know, designing the reader's experience when we really, I mean, it's really not our business. Right. I mean, I even experienced that just the couple of late classes I had to take in grad school. It was, it was wild to me how much of it was just like treasure hunts for (laughs) symbols. It's like, what are we doing here? Like, this isn't, it's just baffling to me that so many upper level courses are, are constructed that way. It's really kind of depressing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you talk about how you got to the professor life? You know, like, is that what you wanted to do? You know? No. Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I don't know whether I wanted it or didn't want it. You know, I, um, when I was in college, when I was an undergrad, I never saw myself as being, um, as being, you know, a future professor or something, Mm -hmm. or even, 
you know, I knew I wanted to go to graduate school, but I still really felt that I was a mess and I (laughs) felt that I was not fancy and, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was doing really well in college and I was also sort of being given the permission, you know, by academia that, that people are given, you know, Mm -hmm. that like, I, you know, I was getting awards and, and honors and stuff like that. It's not that I was shut out from anything. I just really, I just really couldn't see it for myself. I just felt like a big mess. Hmm. Um, I went right to grad school because I really, um, I I was just going to do it. There was no, there's no question. I wanted to keep studying creative writing with professors. Um, So I went to University of Washington for my MFA right after graduating from University of Maryland. And I never wanted to teach. I did a little bit of sort of um, this strange teaching thing when I was an undergrad. I was like a freshman teaching other freshmen um, <laughs> these extra, <laughs> these extra um, discussion sections. I would wear a suit and oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten that until recently. But yeah, I was just like, you know, I can never do this. I never want to teach. So, you know, I didn't have a TA ship in grad school. Um, what about teaching seemed so like odious other than the fact that you felt like it, like you didn't belong? Was there something about what it looked like that seemed um, you know, not ap- appealing to you? I think the stakes just seemed really high. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I can't really remember what I didn't what I didn't find appealing about it, but it just, it just scared me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it still scares me. Mm-hmm. But- because it was so close to something you cared so much about because it was so close to writing or w- why did the stakes feel so high? I think because it's a performance mm. every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a, I mean, there's a, there's much more evaluation of me as a professor now than there was for me in any job before. I mean, I'm Mm. constantly evaluated by so many people, my students, my colleagues. Um, I think that that kind of um, just attention, just being paid to my performance all the time seemed really scary. Um, Like, you know, I wouldn't really, I really wouldn't be able to mess up. So, you know, I just didn't, I thought, and I also thought I was going to work for the federal government because I had done that as an undergrad. It worked um, for the USDA, Natural Resources Conservation Service, um, and in tribal policy as an entry-level staff person. Um, What did that mean on a day-to-day basis? um, I, I did all sorts of things after... After a while, my position was sort of stretched um, to to be admin for um, another program in NRCS um, that had to do with conservation, but not not tribal land. I did all sorts of things. It started as an internship, so I was doing some pretty interesting projects then, like um, created a tribal consultation handbook that I think they still use Um, or it's a you know I found something online that I thought like I think I made this or I made the (laughs) predecessor of this (laughs) Um, um, so you know I I don't really remember what what the work was like other than some interesting projects Um, one thing that I did a lot especially after I came on as staff after the internship um, was 
memos, which is a whole thing in the executive mm-hmm. branch. I, oh if a, if a memo was going out from the DC office to the States and it was a certain kind of memo, I would have to make, I think, I think it was three copies with um, a footer with, I think the footer had the initials of every person who was going to sign off on it. Oh my God. Starting with me. Oh my something like that and then i'd have three copies on different colors of paper there's a plastic cover sheet and had two binder clips and <laughs> i had to take it to a person i had to follow up with that person to see if she had signed it um you know and that kind of thing one thing i did was there was somebody who was my boss's boss had um So once a week I would go down to his office and he had printed out a stack of his email and written his responses on, on the sheets of paper, like on the emails. And he had me, he had me photocopy them if they were like to CC, like like actual carbon copy (laughs) and then like put them in files. That is so, that is so common. I mean, I have worked for men where they, they couldn't read their emails unless they were printed out for them. Jesus, You know, like they couldn't click print themselves. It had to be printed out for them. And then yes, they would scribble their responses on the paper (laughs) for you to then input. I know. So then what changed that allowed you to get yourself on a path to teaching or that just I don't know what changed. So, so after, well, so during my MFA, which is two years, um, I, I got funding my second year through um, a front desk position, a a funded graduate position um, through American Indian studies at UW. And I really liked working there. I was a great fit. Um, And so after graduating, I stayed on for like 15 hours a week. And eventually um, they did need to create an advisor position and I had already been doing advising work. So, um, so I got that job. So I was working halftime in academia for eight years after my MFA. Um, The other thing that happened was it was so, it was so random. Um, I, I had, I had been a TA in that department for one quarter, my first year, um, just really just grading. And I, my, my department chair just asked me if I wanted to start teaching. (laughs) He just asked me if I wanted to start (laughs) adjuncting and teaching film classes, which I had never, I didn't, I don't even watch movies, (laughs) but I was like, yeah, of course I need the money so badly. So I taught, um, film oh uh american indians and cinema um he and i kind of like co-taught that um and co-taught the intro to american indian studies class because they were these huge lectures they're super popular so we just made them huge co-taught split the work um so were you like co-writing the syllabus or was it already no he was writing the syllabus okay had to kind of, I, I, there was, a, there were a couple of things like I would teach twilight and that was something I insisted on. <laughs> um, and I learned that, you know, I was like, it's, you know, this is actually kind of fun. This is, this is not the worst thing. Um, and this is, this would be a fine way to make money. And I, 
realized I didn't want to be away from academia because um, I just like it. So I, and then I started teaching at the Institute of American Indian Arts in their MFA program. Um, that was my first time really teaching creative writing beyond um, some community classes. And then, you know, I, I was in Seattle and I was running out of money. I wasn't getting, you know, all the work that I needed and it's just, it became so expensive. And I realized I, I'm going to have to find a full-time job. And um, I had friends who really encouraged me to apply for faculty positions, which I thought I was not qualified for. Um, wow. And, and I got an amazing job at Ohio State, like a really, really great job. Um, awesome. And so that's, yeah, so it all worked out really, I was just really lucky at so many points along the way that people gave me a chance or gave me advice or, you know. And that you were open to it too, you know, like I, I feel like that's, those are little steps that you were taking as well. Yeah. How long have you been at Ohio State? Since 2017. Okay. Beautiful Ohio. Yeah, I actually really like it here. I yeah. never, part of why I was staying, you know, why, why I wasn't even really thinking about faculty jobs was that, um, well, there, you know, there's a couple of reasons. First, I didn't want to leave Seattle. Um, I was in Coast Salish territory. So I was like close to, you know, I was, there were a lot of people from, um, from tribes. I, I'm not from my, my tribe's not from the, the Puget Sound area, but mm -hmm. sort of nearby. So culturally it was a really good fit for me. Um, I have family there. I had so many friends, so I didn't want to leave Seattle. I mean, the other thing was that, um, with chronic illness, uh, I just, I've always known I couldn't, I couldn't teach a four, four or a three, three, even teaching load at, um, and so that disqualified me from, from a bunch of jobs and, mm -hmm. you know, jobs that I felt were, um, more within my reach than, a two, two, like at Ohio state. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, you know, I just didn't, didn't go on the job market cause I was sick and didn't think that that full-time academia was really going to work for me. When you did take a, take a leap and go for this position, did you talk to them about your, your chronic illness or, or no. Okay. You just let them know, you know, or was it just that that's the schedule that they were hiring for? That's, yeah, that's, so it's, um, you know, being a, a major research university, there's more, more of a significant focus on research and creative expression. Um, this is the official title um, of, you know, of that, that form of our, that part, piece of our work. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there were other jobs with, um, a heavier teaching load and generally less expectation of, um, you know, of creative output, but, um, Ohio state being one of, you know, these universities with the, the most significant research, um, was it R1? What does that mean? Research highest level of research activity. So it just means that we're, we have, um, you know, we're expected to produce a little bit more research wise and a little bit less teaching wise than some of those other jobs. That's wonderful. 
think Juan Martinez was saying a very similar thing just at Northwestern that he's not expected to teach quite as much because it's a research university primarily, which I didn't realize that was such a dividing line um, in what the actual experience of teaching at these different universities is. Yeah, I think, you know, I certainly um, being a staff person at an R1 at University of Washington really gave me significant insight into all of this. Like there's still a lot of demands on people's time. I think, you know, not I think, I know there are particular demands on people's time in an American Indian Studies Department, um, you know, because that that unit is expected to do that piece of the diversity work um, mm. along with a few other units. But, you know, that's kind of what that unit is carrying. And, um, you know, as, as a native faculty member, um, I've got my own share of that too. Mm. So, but yeah, I think that there's, um, there's a certain amount of permission that's given it's, I think that that is what helps me more than, I don't know, I don't want to say more than the teaching load, because I could not teach more than two courses in a semester, it would not be physically possible for me. Mm -hmm. But um, one thing that really helps is that it's not just the number of courses, it's also that there's this expectation that creative expression is at the heart of what I do. That's mm. why, I, you know, that's why I'm there because I'm a writer and because I write. Um, it helps me mentally, um, you know, keep that part of me as much as possible. I mean, it's not really possible a lot of the time, but it, it helps me keep that at the center of what I do and who I am and not, not put that aside completely. Yeah. I think that's crucial because, you know, I, Alex is the manager at a grocery store and I am a stay-at-home mom. And I feel like writing for me is something that is absolutely uh, like a fundamental element of who I am. And yet mm -hmm. it's the one thing that I always back burner for other things Yeah, um, because I have to. And so I think to have a job where they are telling you, no, that is a very important part of your position, Right. you know, like, I think any writer thinking of it that way, it, it, it can only help, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, knowing that. So I was working on white magic for years, like I said, and I was really spinning my wheels. There were long stretches when I wasn't writing and I was working, you know, 20 hours a week in an office and then doing contract teaching um, with irregular hours. So I had, you know, I think that I had, certainly a less full schedule than I have now. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm writing so much more now. Uh, wow. Maybe not right now, but, you know, as soon as I got to Ohio State, I wrote, like, I started writing White Magic and I had the, you know, the real bulk of, of the book um, as it is now. And I just wrote and I, I just had this draft, I think after the first year, first year, first year and a half, maybe after the first two years, I had this 125,000 word draft. Mm. Wow. Um, I think in part, you know, in part it's because of, um, 
you know, of knowing that like, I need to do this to get tenure. Like this actually, you know, this is my job now. I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, having that be, I think, I think teaching, you know, as much as it still scares me and stresses me out, um, it feels like a lot of responsibility and, um, even more now that, you know, the students are, are having just so much put on them and they're having such a hard time. Um, but, you know, but teaching has been so good for my writing in that I'm constantly thinking, I have to explain how this stuff works to other people. So mm-hmm. I have to understand how it works. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have to learn really fast if I don't know something. Um it's just like being in an environment where I'm constantly reminded that like what I do actually, you know, in my writing life actually matters to somebody Mm. is so huge. Um, That like that, having that respect so like just so easily at hand in my professional life is it's changed everything for me, Mm -hmm. not having to, you know, um, pull it out of other places, but just having it in front of me is so, is so valuable for me. Yeah. I feel like I've had this conversation with, with so many writers where they say, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to call myself a writer, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I write and I want to write and I've published here and there, but I'm, am I a writer? And I feel like you have a job where you are a capital W writer, you know, like that yeah. is, and, you know, an acknowledged position and an important aspect of your job there. And I just think that's awesome. Yeah, I feel so lucky. (laughs) It's really great. Yeah, I mean, clearly after listening, you talk about the way you got there. Luck, I may have had some part to do with it, but man, you worked worked hard, 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 hard. I did. Yeah, I did work hard. What's your mindset like when you know your book's about to come out? Um. I don't know. You know, I think I'm really anxious. Mm-hmm. I, um, it's kind of hard to tell. I, I think I've, you know, I've been really dreading what, to, I mean, to be honest, what some of the people in the book are going to think of it if mm-hmm. they see it, mm-hmm. um, which they probably will. <laughs> Cause, uh, you Can know, you talk a little bit more feeling. about that? Because I, yeah. I feel like a lot of times people won't, they want to write something that's personal and they won't because they're so worried about that. They're worried about it's, you know, this is about someone in my life or I, I don't feel like I'm allowed to tell this story or, you know, how did you fight through that? I think that this, that started, you know, the, the way that I make that work for me started early for me with nonfiction. Mm. I started writing nonfiction when I got to when I started grad school. Um, I had written a little bit before that, but I became a nonfiction writer my first quarter of grad school. I kind of switched over and never really looked back um, as I was doing a fiction degree. So that was inconvenient. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I just, I just thought I was playing around. I was just experimenting and writing like weird stuff. Um, and the first essay that I wrote in grad school was this reverse chronological listing of everybody I'd have had sex with. And um, (laughs) I love it. And, you know, I never, I just thought like, who's going to publish my stuff. Nobody wants to read about me. Like nobody wants to read about my like messy life. Um, And so I just, 
I think I was just really free then because I, you know, the future didn't seem real. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got down those habits. Um, one thing that I think I, I do now that I continue to do that really helps me is to just, I just know that I should just write whatever in the first draft because I don't, you know, I don't have a writing group. I don't show early drafts to people um, except my partner now, but um, you know, but before we were together, I didn't, you know, I just didn't really show early drafts to, to many people um, and certainly not an early book draft mm-hmm. or stuff from the book. Um, so I just knew that I was in this space alone with my work and it was, you know, it was like private, basically it was private. It was secret. It was not something anybody was going to see until I let them. Um, And so I just let myself write whatever. And then, you know, I think that I really, you know, with like some of the, some of the depictions of the the people who were really shitty to me, Mm -hmm. um, I think I just, I just did. I just said what I said in language that was just so delightful to me that I couldn't edit it out. <laughs> like just such amazing burns. Like my favorite, my favorite thing about some of these essays is like, um, just how much energy I put into being exact about the things that they should be embarrassed about. Um, I think of, you know, the writing and the, the publicity stuff as separate processes. And I think that, you know, eventually when they, they, I set a point where, you know, before it really, before I show it to my agent, um, I have to decide, is this, you know, is this what I want in the world? And not that I've had, you know, a book, my first book in the world, I know more about like, when am I just trying not to think about something and when is it okay? You know, there's, there were, there's always stuff that I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't think I should, I don't think I should publish that, but I just don't want to think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Can't do that anymore. So, you know, I think that um, with some of these, you know, some of these depictions, um, they're people who are not in my life anymore. They never will be again. If they, you know, they're exes who did not read my work when we were, we were together. Um, So if they choose to read it now, um, all of that is on them. It's that's not right. my problem. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Maybe they'll read it and be like, oh, that's such a good burn. I wonder who that's about. <laughs> <laughs> Possible. <laughs> what are you uh, looking for when you show your work to your partner? Is it sort of like affirmation, excitement? Oh, yeah. Okay. You're I want not looking affirmation. For any... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I think that, um, you know, I mean, like he's an amazing reader and I, I think I ask him for, you know, critical comments sometimes too. But one thing that I know I really want when I'm showing stuff to people early on is that I just want to get that feeling out of my system Mm -hmm. that I need to show this to somebody because, you know, I think it's really easy to follow that impulse and just send something off for publication before it's ready. I mean, I've seen, you know, writers do that way too many times and regret it. So 
I just need to kind of burn off that, that feeling like, oh, I need to share this immediately. I'm so excited about this thing I wrote and so proud. Mm -hmm. Um, It's much better to show it to Wes than to, you know, throw it up on medium or something. Like Mm -hmm. I need to really, you know, tend my work a little better than that. Are you dragging me right now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, Alex, go ahead. No, no, that, uh, that was better. Oh. Well, uh, we have uh, monopolized your time. <laughs> I feel like we can talk to you, you know, for like another two hours. This absolutely. This is just it's like so fun to talk to you. Yeah, thanks so it much is. for let's, coming on. When your book actually comes out, let's do a part two. Yeah, we gotta do a part two. Absolutely, I'll come where, back anytime. Yay! Where do you want? If people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Where do you want them to go? They should just go to washuda.net. It's a little website I made myself. And, <gasps> we were um, going to ask you that. We, we, were, we were like, who made this? This is crazy. We love Are you it. serious? <laughs> it's just HTML. It's just HTML. It's oh, it's just HTML. HTML. Just HTML. It's not yeah. fancy is what I'm saying. It's not like a, it's not like a fancy website. It's, it's yeah, but we don't know shit. Alex and I are literally Google, Googling just HTML to see yeah, if it's a program. I mean, this is so over our heads. This is, it's awesome. <laughs> It's beautiful. It Thank is you. a gorgeous website. So everyone visit it and then pre-order her book and then come back and listen to part two when her book comes out. There you go. I'm excited to come back. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was yeah, so good thanks to talk so much. To you. Great to talk to you. Amazing. I cannot wait to read, read that book there were so many things that she said that as you alluded to at the end there, I really could have listened to her talk about a number of those subjects for two hours. And I think, you know, if, if that, if that's not a great advertisement for wanting to go get the book, I don't know what it is that absolutely. I'm so excited that it's 500 pages. I mean, I don't know if it's 500 pages in actuality in the book, but like, Mm. Ooh, I love a good thick, a good thick boy. Good thick boy. Of course. <laughs> so how's it going? We were talking earlier that, that it's been a pretty okay Monday for you and a pretty stupid one for me. Right. Well, you have a lot going on today. Um, people back into more normal situations of yeah. life. Yeah. And also I miss the sun. I need the sun. Mm. Do you have like one of those lamps? No, I need to get one of those. I think they're actually cheap, um, is what I've heard. We don't, I think we had one at one time maybe and lost in one of the many moves or something. I don't know. I'm going to get one. I, we went sledding yesterday and that was like a moment where I like understood how people get through winter, even though it's like I've been in Chicago for almost 16 years now. It's still, Forget you didn't home. grow up with this kind of no. weather. No. I love winter is my favorite. I prefer winter. I, I think I part of it there. is the clothes. Like I like having clothes on. I like, <laughs> like, I like pants. I like a coat, another coat, a hat. I just like having clothes on. It's great for me. I refused to wear shorts growing up in Orlando. What I refused. Really? I just thought it was dorky. I wanted to be mysterious. Be like Clint Eastwood or something. Jesus. <laughs> well i um i just refused and then as soon as i got to chicago i was like oh shorts you know because it was like yeah you you die all winter hoping for the sun and then it's like you just want the sun to touch every inch of your body or that's how i felt sure yeah 
no I'm, um, I'm i'm pro shorts i just i just would i don't know i like i like a lot of clothes i don't know why i can get down with that i like blankets yeah. i like you know oh, we God, have a fireplace yes. sure and i love that but the sun it's the and every and this happened to me each time i had a baby too i would think okay well that like that was a really hard thing i did with my first baby but now mm-hmm. i know and so my second baby won't be so hard well then it was really fucking hard and then i was like <laughs> okay but now i'm really an expert and then my third baby came and like, that was really fucking hard. And it's the same oh, every man. winter. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be fine. My body's ready for the darkness and I'm never, never actually ready. But, but objectively oh. we've had easier winters. I mean, not that's for, true. No, that's like, true. For, so you were here for, was it 2012 or 13? That was this psychotic storm. The polar vortex. That was, that, that one was, was crazy. 2013 leading into 2014, I believe. Because yes. Parker was one. Yeah. Right, right, right. We had just cars stranded in the middle of the street in front of our apartment. And you'd go to the liquor store and it was completely empty. Like Oof. there was, it was brutal, but kind of amazing. Like, I love that. That's crazy. It's a story. I Last year or the year before we had one of those freaky, like 30 below zero days and our dishwasher yes. froze. Whoa. Yeah. Like, and it, there was just like stalactites of like grease in there. Oh my God. So I had to like roll up a space heater to get it going again Jeez. so move to chicago everyone it's but actually it's actually you know like there's freakish freakish days but for the most part it's doable that's doable but what about uh did you send your novel this morning i did i sent oh! it this morning oh yep. my goodness I actually, how do you feel i actually you know what i actually felt a lot better i felt a sense of relief i think you know regardless what happens who knows what's going to happen but and you know we're I'm still super me. early in this process but it felt good to just like, okay, for instance, I was really excited to just sit with Alyssa's book and, you know, on my phone on while I'm also watching children, but like, uh, you know, just have my reading be someone else's work and something that I could just get excited about. Um, that is, there's so many things that I haven't really, I don't know. I am not a great um, multitasker when it comes to reading, especially when I'm editing. So it's been nice. It's nice to just think like, okay, all those books that I've started and have not progressed past page 30, I can go back into here. Oh, I love it. A little vacation. Yeah. A little reward. Like we were talking about with Chris Terry. Yeah. Yeah. What about you since yesterday? (laughs) Yeah. Cause we talked yesterday. We recorded Chris Terry's episode last night and then tonight was Alyssa Washuda. Um, I actually, I, I had two hours today. Um, you edited a I, podcast today. I did. I dropped Towns off at school. Judith was napping. Parker was upstairs in virtual school. And so I edited Chris Terry's podcast. And then I, I actually wrote 550 words. Oh, my God. Which I couldn't believe because I heard Judith wake up. Oh, my God. Um, and, and I was like, oh, no, I haven't, I haven't started writing. So I just like started writing, mm-hmm. <laughs> hoping that I could get something out before Ben brought her downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um and I did, I just, I just like powered through, I, you know, like I hadn't been able to sit down and write. And I just feel like I, I, I almost feel like that was why I was so down is because mm. I just had, I'd been like bottling up inside me. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was awesome. Like I, I not only got to write, but I, I did my word count goal. And so, yeah, it was, it awesome. was, it was a good thing. Is it on when, is it on the, uh, the novel, the, like the, the crime novel, mm-hmm. the how, okay. So mm-hmm. when you are going into that, are you, do you, how do you just get 
do you read like a little bit of what you wrote previously or do you just kind of know and you hop in or how do you do that? It varies. So like I have it on my phone so I can always pull it up and be like, where the hell was I? Or right. let me scan to this part that I, that I don't feel like good about or in my head, I'll think, I'll just be like doing other things like, you know, making lunch for my kids. And I'll just think like, okay, okay. So here's an example just from today. Um, I knew I was going to try to get some writing in and I remembered where I had left off previously. And there's this still this like open question for me of like how, um, you know how like you can envision something and you can know it, but you can't put it into words with yes. your, with your writing. Sure. Like how does this woman tell her son to kill this other woman? Or like, how does she get him to do it? How does he agree to do it? And it just, like I was driving my son to school or I was actually driving him before school. Cause I tried to drive him around to get him to sleep before school. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing that and it just came to me that um, he sees her in crisis and even like a crisis that she doesn't fully recognize in herself, like almost right. like, like she's suicidal. Um, and, and he, and as her son, he wants to save her. Um. So, I mean, that sounds really dark and I'm not putting it into words correctly, but, but that, so that came to me today and I was like, oh my God, okay. That sort of like fits in now. How many times have I had an idea and then gone to write it and it doesn't make sense. So who knows? Sure. But I wrote that today. I wrote that little bit. So, and you're a big, you're a believer in in Google docs at this point, right? You're a convert. I used to be word only. That's but how then, I am right now. That's how I've always been. So I'm, I'm yeah. just curious. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, it's convenience. I need, I need access to my writing at all times because I, I need to, sometimes I just want to check in. I just want to feel connected to it. Sometimes I like, I, I feel like I've, I wrote and I, in a blackout and I need to go back and remember what I was even saying. Right. Um, and which I think is cool. I remember one of my professors telling me that she closed her eyes when she wrote, because then it felt like she was in a dream and she could be really free. Um, so yeah, so that's, and, and, and I always have my phone with me so I can always like check in whenever I need to. And it's easy to share, Yeah, you know? So yes. And also like, I, I get terrified of like crashing on my computer mm. and I know if it's on Google docs, there it is in the cloud, baby. Did you know that about Google Docs? It's in the cloud. Uh, yeah, it's, it's in the cloud. Oh my goodness! It's just HTML. Um, I don't have anything to read. Do you? Uh, I was going to read what I wrote today. Just mm. another thing that's happening in this book that I that I I'm not sure why is that sometimes when I'm writing from the perspective of the murderer, the the woman, the mm-hmm. the mother who has this murder committed. Jackie, um, it's in third person and other times she, she's in first person. And I, I know that happens a lot just in drafting, like, and you go fix it later, but I kind of like today, I kind of like owned it. So again, like who knows what will happen in editing and revision and all that. All right. So, like I said, this is something that sort of came to me (laughs) as I was meandering around a winter highway with my sleeping son. January 4th, the first Monday in 2021. Okay. 
I'd like to cut in here if that's okay. I don't think it's fair how the story starts to get away from you or from me, I guess. I mean, technically, yes, this is what happened, but it's missing a whole lot of context, detail, moment. Teresa and I had planned a road trip, just the two of us, retro retro like that one movie. We'd talked about running over Mr. Belderis, our ragey neighbor who ogled our boobs, and going on the lamb. We talked about leaving our families behind, starting fresh, and we didn't talk about the end of that movie, but I had always assumed it ended with nothingness. Not that I ever had that actual thought. I'm only realizing it now, how that was the thing I yearned for, was to roll credits on a whole lot of details that made up my life and how Teresa seemed to feel the same way. I mean, what would they even miss if we were gone, truly? My house would probably be a lot cleaner without all the men in it waiting on me to clean it. I'd stop annoying Nick so much. My boys would stare at each other with their jaws hanging and and then eventually one of them would fix a peanut butter sandwich. Honestly, the fantasy was better than sex. I no longer served a purpose if I ever did, and it was time to take my leave, the one thing I'd be doing just for me. Already I felt virtuous about it, protective, defensive, and I feel it again now as I'm describing it. Jesus Christ, if my, absent te- if my absence tears you up so bad, then why am I erasing myself in slow-mo and no one gives a shit? But I made a mistake, one tiny slip. I swerved. I forgot Douglas was in the car. He asked me what I was thinking, why I was crying. Did I do that on purpose? He reached over and honked back and he kept honking until I pulled to the shoulder. But back to where we left off. Where was I? Teresa saw. But please, if you've lived long enough, you know anything can be anything. A mother can be a runaway, a slut, a criminal, a dead woman. Adam was looking at her, but we looked at each other, really looked. Come on, I was thinking. I know she was. It was stupid. When you really think about it, the earth 4 billion years old and humankind only a couple hundred thousand years, its occupants, it's really fucking stupid to wonder what you mean in it all. And in that moment, the context was, we both understood that, had understood it for a long, long time, and we were spilling over with rage. It's a woman's work to know those kinds of things, and yet still wipe up the spill, brush away the tears, spread her legs, whether they're coming or going. Getting through a day requires a fair amount of ignorance. The cost of that is usually a woman's close attention. I'm not lying. Just look what happened. No one was paying attention but me. Douglas? He was looking in the wrong direction. Can a son be blamed for that? Don't we want that from our children, their recognition that we're human beings? Can we control how a child processes that? I certainly couldn't. I didn't even try. That's it. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so excited to see all this together in some form. I'm going to force you to send it to me early. I don't care. But, I, oh I'm going to have God. to because <laughs> I, uh, I think I do need readers. <laughs> well. Oh my goodness. I just feel like there's so many um, times you've read from this and I felt like, oh, Jesus Christ. And I, <laughs> it's like been every time. So I, I, I'm curious, like, I don't know. I'm just curious to what the, the ebb and flow is going to feel like when it's all laid out. I'm really excited to see that. You know what? Me too. <laughs> well, there you go. That makes two of us right here. It's exciting because it does feel like I'm getting to the point where I can start shaping it, you know? Nice. So... That's my that's my goal for 2021. Achievable. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> See you, buddy. Bye. Bye. I'm a writer, but is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Because there's a pandemic out there, please wear a mask. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. <laughs>